Hello, everybody. This is Coach Stephanie, and I have Dr. Jonathan Edwards on again. He, we've talked before about fat adaptation and cycling and nutrition, carbs, uh, strategic carbs, and uh, that sort of thing. But this time, do we, we talk? Do we do an interview on your running too? The run form? I can't remember. Yeah, we did so, a, on my book, uh, The Science of the Marathon, that I wrote with Veronique Ballat, um, French physiologist. Yeah, we, we went all into that and the polarized, yeah, polarized a, training for marathons and all that. Yep. Yes, uh, that's a great book. And I, I think if you're interested in upping your running, I think that and you're a triathlete and you want to be a better runner this is or a cyclist what am i saying cyclist yeah. if you are a better triathlete runner, or sure, a runner yeah. then this is the book for you because it talks yeah. a lot about how the you know under four hour marathon you know and that variable and two speed out, the running. two hour marathon and variable speed oh, running yeah yeah that's Oh my gosh, I'm messing up everything, Jonathan. Like it was four. I knew well, it was no, there, there's four hour marathons, that's for sure. No, but I yeah, just had a, a I yeah, I just had a guy in Kona. He did the um, you know, he kind of that's what got him through was just the kind of polar, you know, the you know, the uh, polarized running, you know, he was you know, he's doing the you know, kind of off on, off on, and uh, that got him to the got him to the finish despite you know having a you know, having a bad gastro upset. So. Oh, really? Yeah. I think that it's naturally, naturally, a lot of people run like that. Just, it's just that oh. now if you have the mindset like, oh, this is just under or just over a threshold or uh, like that's, you can keep the pace higher, but we'll, we'll that's not what we're going to talk about today because right. we're talking about another, a subject that really hits home to me. We're going to talk about depression and uh and different therapies for depression jonathan just wrote a book about the oh, ketamine what the, the revolutionary ketamine the revolutionary yeah. ketamine and depression and i i'll share that my son's best friend when he was in high school committed suicide and it was devastating it was it still chokes me up um it still affects my son and this is 10 years later um, his mother um, still, you know, not completely recovered from it. And it's so devastating to have someone you love and care about and you see in your life. He was at our house all the time, um, you know, gone because of suicide. So I think it's a very important message. Before Jonathan and I started, before recording, I we were talking about athletes using ketamine and the UCI rules and that sort of thing. So we're going to go into it. So if you want to talk about your background with um, ketamine and why did you want to write this book? Ah, many, um, many reasons. Thanks for asking that. So I'm a you know, board certified anesthesiologist. So I've been using ketamine, uh, you know, as a medication in hospitals and on patients for, you know, nearly 25 years. Um, and in the last I'd say five years, five to six years, I've gotten interested in the mental space, um, you know, and how I was always interested in suicide because I was exposed to suicide, you know, from a very young age, you know, my grandfather took his life uh, when I was just seven years old, um, uh, native, uh, or at least he was born on a reservation and, you know, he was part Indian and, uh, and he just, he got put on oxygen and, 
that was it. You know, he just put the, you know, he just committed suicide with a gun and done. So, you know, I was exposed to it very young and that always stuck with me all throughout school. And uh, I've always been very interested just in mental health, you know, and nutrition in general. Um, so if you look at who wrote the, uh, the forward, one of this, one of the things that, uh, got me to write the book, uh, Gavin DeBecker. He wrote a Gift of Fear. So he's uh, been on Oprah many times. Um, and he treats, he had a treatment uh, for a women's uh, uh, sh shelter. And, you know, many of the, many of the women, he would pay for the treatments. Um, and yeah, he approached me about writing possibility or writing this kind of book. And I, I was like, wow, you know, I was the, uh, he said he'd write the forward if I wrote the book and it's kind of how it happened. So, so anyways, it came to, I wrote before this, I wrote a book on kind of the lockdowns called, um, called a uh, suicide COVID-19 and ketamine. Um, and this book is it's published by Skyhorse Publishing, a subsidiary of Simon and Schuster, and it it really goes into, you know, the the mental health space. Um, you know, chapter one chapters, the first chapters go into the history of it, but then there's a chapter dedicated to first responders uh, and veterans. Another chapter dedicated to adolescents. Um, another, you know another chapter dedicated to like, what is a psychedelic treatment? Like, what, what is it? What could it be like? You know, you, you can't know what it be, would be like unless you've, you know, um, although near death experiences and things like that, we can get into later, um, have a little bit of that. So anyway, going back, you know, to your, your friend, you know, and it's, uh, yeah, it's a, there, there's no, there's nothing that quells, you know, that trauma from a mother. Um, and if, you know, if you, if you, if you could just somehow see the signs, you know, would you do a psychedelic? Would you do ketamine? Would you, you know, would you, and there are studies of kids. I actually did a whole podcast just on adolescence and ketamine in for suicidality and mental health. Um, and you know, it's not not, not everybody's going to say yes, but there are some who are going to say, "I'm at least going to give it a try. I'm going to get see if it fits into the the treatment, you know, and if it makes sense, you know." It, it's definitely not a panacea, but it's one tool people should know about. And and I'll finish with that. That's what the book's about. You you know, you should know about it at least, and you should know how to bring it up with your psychiatrist or psychologist or whoever you're working with um if it's an option or not and you know and that's that's the genesis of the book basically well i think it's uh as a parent and uh, thankfully that my children are pretty pretty happy and uh, not suicidal but there were moments when they were depressed and despair and it crossed my mind i think as a parent i that is really the worst nightmare. You have a, a one daughter? Yes, have I, I have an 11, uh, 11 year old uh, daughter. Yep. Uh, and she's, uh, yeah, she's in school here in France. And 
um, learning French, you know, she's, she's, oh, she's done several years here in, in French school now. So she's pretty into it. So she's uh, bilingual and it's good. Yeah. Very cool. But if you saw that she was depressed, you're like a parent who loves their child that would not, I can't imagine. Well, I try to do the it, traditional ways first, you know, you, right. You, of course. Yeah. And then, you know, Talk just go them. through the, go through, you know, at least get therapy and, you know, and um, go through the right channels, um, you know, but the most things you can look at yourself as a parent and go, okay, what else can I do? You know, before there were psychologists and psychiatrists, you know, you take, you change your kid's environment, for example, you know, do that. That's kind of the nuclear option, you know, when, when, you know, especially when it comes to these, you know, like trans ideology, you know, your kid comes home and changes genders or whatever, those kinds of things. I mean, you know, you may be all right. Some people are okay with that, but let's say you're not. Um, the the only way to change, like from suicidality, severe mental depression, is a change of environment because that gets the you know that gets the child out of the that environment. You know, with therapy, of course, um, and um, and that's yeah that. Kind of, you know, some psychiatrists note that as the nuclear option. And of course, that's, uh, yeah, that's out of reach for probably most of the population, unfortunately. Right. It's not like you can, many people can't just pick up and move to a different town, a different part of the country, or even a uh, different, in a different part of the country. Yeah. 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 So or, that's, a, uh, or a different country. <laughs> or a different country. They, so when, how did you, because you're an anesthesiologist. I did not know this until I read part of your book that that is that that's what they use ketamine for traditionally is to. Yeah, it's a human anesthetic. It was uh, it was used as a buddy drug in Vietnam, and that's how it got pushed through the FDA so well. But it's um, lo and behold, like in uh, it's glad you asked because in chapter in chapter two, I kind of go into the kind of the history and it's, it's a fun history to tell. We knew ketamine and its derivatives were antidepressants before uh, the late nineties when the Yale researchers brought it all out. And if you read, uh, there's a paper by Edward Domino, he's a, uh, a pharmacologist uh, and he had a helped. He was running a clinic basically of, for what was called phencyclidine and ketamine abusers back in the seventies. And, 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 uh, this woman, he asked, he, he wrote it out and he said, why, why, why do you abuse? Why do you need to keep taking ketamine? And he goes, Oh, and you, and you've stopped taking your antidepressants. And he goes, Oh, that's simple. Doctor ketamine works way better than my antidepressants. Why should I stop? <laughs> so yeah, that, good that, answer. Was, yeah. that, that was in the seventies. <laughs> and, um, so that's, a. Uh, you know, a prelude. And it wasn't until the, it wasn't until the late nineties that the Yale researchers kind of started uh, testing it. Um, it kind of made its first headway into eating disorders. If you remember the whole anorexia crises right. and all that it, it, in Britain, there were some studies on it and that, and that clued some people in. And, and, and many researchers kind of knew all along, I think. And then it just, they just finally pulled the trigger, you know, to, Hey, let's, let's do proper research studies on this. And, and I mean, now it's gone all the way from eating disorders and depression to it stops suicide. 
Yeah. Yeah. The um, and so do you know? I have never used ketamine or taken ketamine. I do see a therapist and she does offer ketamine, but I, well, I don't feel like I'm that depressed. So it's like, uh, exactly. I mean, yeah. I'm a happy person. <laughs> so um, you are, I know. Well, that's, that's <laughs> but, why you run, that's why you run and cycle though. Right. Yes. Yeah. I, I do run cycle and swim surprisingly. Like my swim is now better than my running and cycling. I, I haven't talked to you in a while. I, I slipped a disc in my back early in the pandemic and oh. it was a mess. I was a mess for like three years and finally I'm moving again, but my I have arthritis in the knee and I'm like, actually I probably could have used ketamine then because it was really going from being doing all kinds of things to not being able to get out of bed or it was painful to walk from like my bedroom to the bathroom. Um, I have put me in a pretty deep, depression wow but yeah, sounds like you're not sounds like you dealt with it but you know that's what that's what you know as an endurance athlete you have the tools to to deal with it you know and i mean that's as a coach that's part of it i mean how probably uh, probably a lot of your clientele you don't even know it is you know depressed at some time or another um but little did we know you know i mean endurance sports is one of the best medicines for mental illness period it oh, always yeah. has always has been so whenever you go out start a bike ride and you have all these worries and angst um by the time you're done all the problems have gone away well, I mean, you, what what do you do when you're in the hurt box you go back to your traumas right yeah yeah a lot of your a lot of your, lot of your traumas come back up when you're truly in that hurt box you know climbing it you know, whatever, 170, 80, 90, 200 beats a minute, whenever that is, you know, and you're just, you're just going at it. And I mean, I, you know, you just kind of come out of your head, you know, in, in some instances, at least, you know, when I raced, when I was like, you know, racing cat one cycling and all that, uh, I had plenty of out of, uh, I'd, I'd call it, you know, out of body experiences, really, I mean, you're just like, you know, just, just going and, um, you know, and then afterwards, you're so relaxed, you know, so yeah. there's definitely things that go on there. And, and we know, like things like, uh, pro, you know, like the mTOR proteins and the brain derived neurotrophic trophic factor, BDNF, and many other things are switched on during exercise. Um, and when you have mental illness, all these things, these, you know, these proteins are low in the brain. Um, and with the um, psychedelics you know it also increases some of those proteins just to get in a little bit of the biology of it and it just on you know to keep it on the try to keep it on the topic of exercise and mental health at, when you're constantly running and you know like giving yourself dopamine and all that kind of thing um dopamine actually is a trauma response you know, so th there's many authors who have written about it that way. Um, and that's, you know, as you know, that's the endorphins and the dopamine rush. Um, and it can be, it can also be overdosed as well. And I, in a, in a chapter seven, uh, where I talk about athletes, mental illness and suicide, I actually talk about this in one of my pro cyclists. Uh, Jonathan Cantwell, 
you know, pro cyclists, pro runners, pro athlete, anything, what are they looking for? That next dopamine hit. Where do those dopamine hits come from? Getting a PR, winning a race, getting a contract. I don't know, or getting, you know, some, some privilege that you have as a professional athlete. And you're living from dopamine rush to dopamine rush. You know, there, there's, to be fair, there are a lot of fair and balanced athletes. But, you know, I've, I've, I've experienced hundreds of pro athletes in my day. And a pro athlete who is making their living they are going from dopamine hit to dopamine hit. And it's, um, you know, that has its own issues. Um, and, and you got to wonder, it, it does increase, you know, you do see suicide, especially after, you know, I saw it personally in three of my ex-cyclists and one of them, pulled, you know, and Jonathan uh, did kill himself. And, I, and, and that whole oh. story, that story is in the book. And there, and there was more to the story than what I, you know, than all of that, of course. But anyway, I highlight, you know, being a pro athlete comes with those kinds of situations. And that's, that's those are some of the realities that do happen. And, uh, and there's something, you know, these things were, you know, I experienced them, you know, right, right in front of me. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was, a. Uh, Looking back, it's not a shock to hear that he committed suicide um, now. But if I had known what I if I'd known what I know now back then, I think I would have had a better idea what was going on. You know, so it's a you know it's unfortunate, but that's another reason I wrote the book. I can you know I can uh, hopefully help somebody else in front of me. Yeah, to look for the signs. I mean, I think that the young man, my son's friend. He had some stress at the time, but I don't think anyone thought he was suicidal. He had gotten his girlfriend pregnant and who was 15 and he was 15 and they, she had a baby and it was just overwhelming for him. And then, um, and so uh, that's, I mean, that was a catalyst, but I don't know that anyone thought he was actually suicidal. Right. Yeah. And a, and a kid, it's not, it's not easy, you know, and I mean, just to tell you how the lockdowns really accentuated suicidality in kids, you know, uh, I write about another and um, with the adolescent chapter about uh, seven, uh, 18 school age children, all, all as far as to my knowledge were not in and out of like, you know, mental illness centers and things like that, pretty normal kids. And when you read about some of them, they're clearly regular students, you know, not, not, you know, not a history of cutting and, you know, other things. And um, which is not a sign of suicide, by the way, we can get more into that. Um, But think about it during the lockdowns in one year, 18 kids figured out how to kill themselves, mostly from a school issued iPad. Oh and, my uh, gosh. Yeah. yeah. So it's yeah. It, that, that kind of stuff. It didn't really make the news. And then, um, you know, it's, um, but I, I have it all in the book and, and you got to ask yourself, like, how, how couldn't those, could have those parents somehow just 
like you said, could have they noticed something else or at least got educated on the signs and symptoms. And, 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 and this is where your intuition is so important. If your intuition is telling you things of this sort, there's a reason it is, and it's very powerful, you know, and I've, I've learned a lot about this from Gavin De Becker and his writings. You know, he writes a lot about uh, intuition and the gift of fear. If you have a school age, school age child, this is a must read for, for especially a girl growing up. Uh, it, it is a must read. Um, it is that, it is that important. So I'll put it in the notes, the show notes, yeah. the gift yeah, of fear. For sure. Because yeah. I, uh, I, I read a book a long time. I read a lot of books and uh, I, I may have read this one before survival. I don't, maybe not. Yeah, I don't they, they to check it out. No, it is. It's about, in you using your intuition to to basically bolster your survival survival skills and it's about how it's learning how to listen to your intuition and it's a and it's a big you know it's you know you're in the elevator with somebody you know do you decide to get in or not you know you're get out of a movie are you being followed what's rational what's not um you know, those kinds of things, you know, and uh, the rationale, learning to be rational is what protects you there. Um, and, and you do things without even knowing it. Anyway, it comes back, you know, let's bring it back to the intuition. And, and I think when you're dealing with a kid, you know, and, and I am not a psychiatrist, although, you know, I've, I do have certificates from UNLV with the psychiatrist I work with, he's on the staff, and I've been basically working with uh, Dr. Sam Zand. He's uh, out of the Calm Clinic. And I, so I basically, you know, been in the thick of it for many years now. So I, I see exactly what goes on and what's said and how to say it. And um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a lot, you know, and it's, it's been pretty cool just to see the genesis. And I never thought I'd use my, you know, learn this much psychiatry. Um, you know, but I'm, but I'm happy I did. I have, um, you know, helped me definitely helped me write the book and understand what I was doing a lot better. But so anyway, that's how I know a lot about the second, you know, the psychology of all this. So, and then putting it back to going back to the ketamine. So you've mm -hmm. been using ketamine as a doctor for many mm -hmm. years, because you're an anesthesiologist. And then yeah, nope. I, I remember you talking about, I don't know if it's from another interview or the book, because it's been a while. I know you sent me the book, but I only read, I didn't have a chance to read it all. But the, but some of it was really familiar. So I suspect I may have read it before. But how did you jump into like, hey, um, ketamine, you were talking in either the interview or the book about ketamine when people would come back from from different from the treatment of using ketamine for surgery or something like that that you noticed different things about people who were revived after using it so yeah once you you know if you do a ketamine treatment it's basically an experience in your own head you know the and to put it I guess in another way, for you and I to have this conversation, we are blocking out tons of sensory information. 
you know, we are, I mean, there's so much sensory information out beyond us that you don't even realize that we're blocking out automatically. And, and one of the things, one of the hypothesis, you know, the theories of psychedelics is that basically the floodgates open for the sensory experiences. And that's what gives the, you know, the classic signs of uh, psychedelic, you know, you loss of time, you know, dis dissolution of it, of the ego. Um, you know, you may see people, you may uh, experience, go back to experiences. Um, you, and, and I guess an easy way to say what's in a, uh, a ketamine experience, eh, sometimes they're, sometimes they're terrible, some, but sometimes they're beautiful. Um, I'd say most times they're, they're beautiful if the patient is prepped in the right way. However, that being said, when you're coming in for like, you know, psychiatric purposes, um, think about being able to face your traumas safely. You know, and that's in a sense, what really good therapy does, or also, you know, a psychedelic can do that as well. Um, I think, uh, you know, for what I've seen and experienced, good therapists can really put you in that place where you feel safe to confront your traumas. You know, and usually it's a, who knows, abuse or, you know, sometimes it can, you know, stem from, you know, you know, a lot of things. I mean, I, I got pages of them. So I can, yeah. anyway, um, yeah, there's lots of things. I mean, there's lots of things to navigate this world that are traumatic. Right. I mean, you can be in a car accident, you can be in a bike crash. They oh, have, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, we all have traumas of bike crashes. And I mean, you know, that's a good one because you know, you get in a bike crash. I mean, that's a violent event, um, you know, that you had no control over. And so, you know, there's a lot of control issues and, you know, whether you're going to get back on the bike or not, that kind of, those kinds of things. And what a psychedelic treatment basically does, you know, whether it be ketamine, ketamine is the one we use right now because it's available and legal. You can go to a clinic and get it. You can't go everywhere and get ayahuasca psilocybin, MDMA. Those are not medicines you can be prescribed right now. In some trials you can. In, in Oregon, you can go get it yourself, but you know, that's it. Uh, I think there might there might be another state. Boulder, I think. Boulder, yeah, Col Boulder Colorado. Colorado. Yeah, yeah. It's but deep, I don't think all of Colorado. I don't think all of no, Colorado. I it's just, I think, Boulder County or that, yeah. that one. It's one so, area. So, so when you get out of the psychedelic treatment, you're, you're more amenable to the therapy. Your, your brain's in a sense, you know, it's a primed, it's a good priming tool. Now you're ready to kind of talk about, and, and that's what I tell people, think about, you know, oh, can I just get the ketamine and not do the therapy? And I say, absolutely not. That's why, I, and this is why I work, I insist on working with a psychiatrist you know, I'm not, uh, there's a lot of doctors out there who could just give ketamine without therapy and they just say, oh, get therapy on your own. Uh, I don't think that's the right way to go about it. You know, I think you need to do uh, psychedelics and whatever it is, and usually the ketamine and get the therapy in and around those sessions. Not, not you don't have to do it right after, but, you know, within a day or whatever it is, just your mind is much more open to dealing with those traumas that are giving, you know, 
resulting or helping to result in those mental, you know, mental illnesses, you know, such as, you know, this depression and all the way to suicidality. Yeah. And so talking about like athletes using ketamine, that they're, um, uh, it's not listed for as a, a tool for doping. Talk a bit, little bit about that. So talk about the rules for using ketamine and ex- some examples that you were telling me before we started recording of athletes who have used um, ketamine, either positive or not so positive. Yep, mostly uh, I'll say it. So the whole chapter, uh, you know, um, chapter eight, chapter seven, excuse me, athletes, uh, the mental illness and suicide uh, goes into many MMA uh, fighters, Dean Lister. um, There's a couple other um, NFL guys um, who've all, who've used ketamine. Um, But, you know, the whole depression thing, first of all, it's just to say, I mean, I I, I start off the story with Michael Phelps. You know, he got pretty, pretty down in the weeds um, for the longest time. You know, he, you know, oh, I can't, I can't show that I'm weak, you know, that I'm depressed. And um, yeah, he got, he got in a pretty dark place um, when well, you start reading the studies. If you are, especially if you're, I know personally, I've been focused in training on an event like Ironman or, or something like that. And it's such a big deal mm-hmm. to me, you know that I, it consumed all of my headspace, you know, like, cause you're training, you're worried about what to eat during training. Did I get my workout in? Did I get my workout in as prescribed? You know, did I get to bed on time? Did I sleep? But then after the event, like you have all that headspace, there's no goal to work for. And that's, and then all the little things in life that, right start to creep back in so i it's i can see easily how it can be depressing i mean expect when i injured my back i was training for ironman Coeur d'Alene, and uh, it's like uh, oh there's no way i can catch up on this training i um was in pain and it's like crazy stuff goes through your head or through my head i'm not saying but i can see how after the Olympics and winning all those gold medals, it's easy to sink into a depression because well, like, it goes into, it goes into yeah. yeah, what we discussed, you know, the dopamine yeah, yeah. hit, where's that next dopamine hit coming from? You know, is that the whole story? I don't know. I mean, I haven't, I've never talked to Mr. Phelps, but you know, I, I have a, I could be pretty certain that's part of, that's some part of it at least. So, so anyway, an athlete, so, you know, the many athletes like, um, have done psychedelics. I mean, Aaron Rodgers famously did ayahuasca. Um, you know, you have, um, Lamar Odom, he's a basketball player. He did ketamine and other things for his addictions. Um, you also have, uh, let's see, Dean Lister. I mean, I, I read about a whole slew of them in here you know, who have done psychedelics, um, and, and many have done, many have done ketamine, um, and mostly with good experiences, you know, and the argument is, it's like, okay, if you deal with your traumas, you're, 
Is that what's holding you back from your best performances? Or is it, you know, or is it like the discussion, like, you know, we were talking about with the UFC fighter, uh, Misha Tate, you know, is, is that actually going to hinder you, you know, are you taking away some of that flame that burns you to, to, you know, to train, to train at that elite level? You know, I, I think it's, I've been thinking about this for a while and I, I, I think it's individual. That's for sure. I mean, if you grew up with gangs and, you know, you got guns held to your head, um, I don't know, or you watched your dad, you know, shoot up or I, you know, who knows, just really traumatic things like you really bad things. Just, I, I can't imagine that, you know, getting some therapy and if you have to do something like a psychedelic, like ketamine wouldn't help, you know, now, um, that all being said, you know, it just depends on what level of trauma you're trying to deal with, you know, and, and every case is individual. Uh, you know, there's no, you can't, uh, there's no blanket statement you can make, but every case is certainly individual. Um, so, I, I, you know, it's hard to say who, who will do well with it and who might be not, who might not do well with it. You might not get you know, it might hinder your performance in a sense. And that goes into the question about, you know, the world, you know, anti-doping agencies. Um, it's actually, they don't have us, they don't really have anything on it. It's permitted in and out of competition. Um, I'm sure that'll change. I mean, there's, there's zero chance you could compete. Like people can compete, you know, people can compete yeah. on marijuana, I guess, you know, doing the, you know, some of the mountain biking, the extreme mountain biking stuff, but I yeah. don't care. I don't care what level of ketamine you're on. Good luck with that. You know, you're, yeah. it's not going to go well. Um, so, so maybe, you know, maybe yeah. that's why I don't know, but you know, any, any of those psychedelics that put you out of your head, headspace in a sense, you know, there's your, it's just, it doesn't go, you it does not go with competition. There's just no way. So. Yeah. I, I have a little experience with psychedelics a long time ago and um, I cannot imagine trying to even like even a yeah. walking a block would have been. Well, that being fun. said though, there is a story about doc Ellis. He was a San Diego uh, Padres pitcher and he, he was doing LSD and amphetamines all at that. And then. Uh, oh my. And, and there's a whole story. I wrote it in the book and he didn't know he's going to get, he didn't know he was going to get like called to, he thought it was a day after and something. So he gets called up and hey, you got a game today. And um, lo and behold, he threw a no hitter that day. He, oh. he and, and he said, and he said, you know, he looked at the batters and they were, he, you know, some of them were different, just I don't know different shapes, and he. So it he, wasn't a microdose; it was a full. Yeah, no, I, but so maybe yeah. LSD has a different thing. I don't know. I you don't know. know. I've never, a, I've never tried LSD. Uh, I don't. Uh, yeah, I've never. I've, I don't know what LSD does either, but um, personally, so yeah, it's hard to say though, you know. But you know, it goes into that 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 whole thing is like you know, LSD was big in the '60s, and uh, I kind of bring this you know, back up in the, in the book and, and a lot of it, uh, you know, a pretty cool thing, um, you know, that was, 
I, I thought I got out of the book was uh, when I wrote it was that, you know, 60 year, almost 50 to 60 years of psychedelic research was taken away, you know, by the government, you know, because right. basically, because if you remember, like, you know, like the Harvard professor, Timothy O'Leary, right. Um, he, you know, he said, you know, he famously said, you know, tune in, tune out, um, you know, it was like, tune in, tune out, get out kind of thing. And, it, you know, I think the government looked at that and people, you know, thought people were going to change into communists, all this kind of thing. And um, so they just put the kibosh on all psychedelic research at that time in the 60s. And then it wasn't until now, basically, this last decade, you know, that um, the psychedelic research um, has really has really come on. And, and I think there's something about the, you know, like Jordan Peterson, I've met Jordan Peterson, and he was extremely interested in the book. Um, so we'll see where that goes, you never know. Um, that would be a neat deal to talk to him more about it. But he said, he said, uh, he, he, he ironically had Timothy Leary's same post, exact same post at Harvard as a psychologist. Oh, and really? said, that's pretty and, interesting. And yeah, and his and his motto, he changed Leary's motto into tune in, turn on, and grow up. <laughs> that's so, uh you know it's sort of funny. It's like that post might be like the in uh, Harry Potter, the the dark arts professor. Nobody ever oh, stays there. Right, right. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> so, true. Yeah, yeah, that's so, ah, there's um, a, you know, it, well, it helps you face the snakes in your heart, you know, as to get in a little Peterson art kind of stuff in there. But, um, you know, it's uh, I, I think there's a great future for it. Um, you know, I mean, if you want to if you want to find out more information like about PTSD, just go to John Hopkins. You'll see like phase three trials there, um, you know, at Yale and and uh, Lori Calabrese, she's a psychiatrist uh, on the East Coast who's done uh, wonderful studies with suicidal patients in an outpatient basis. And basically, uh, I, I mean, almost none of them committed suicide after like three to six treatments. I've read um, the, uh, yeah. the John Hopkins study about end of life, people with terminal cancer and psilocybin. And yes. the yeah. results that they had which were amazing. They had nuns who said it was the most profound experience they've ever had. Um, right. Yeah. And those yeah, people so are putting, trying to put themselves in this, in that space every day through prayer and all that. Right. Right. So, through prayer and meditation. Well, yeah. well, get this. There's even some, uh, if you go back in the church history and there's evidence of this, they actually used to put psychedelics in the host or in the wine. Yeah, in the did you yeah. read the immortality? I mean, that's, yeah, exactly. That's where I read that, and that he uh, yeah. he went through that. I forgot the the author's name, but you know he's on Joe Rogan, and um, anyway, was, yeah, uh, yeah. But you know, what? I think it's interesting. So, you know, one of the reasons the premise in the book was that the they stopped with the psychedelics in the wine because the soldiers did not want to fight in the Roman war did not yeah. want to be roman soldiers and something that's interesting that psychedelics and, and marijuana were pushed down and made illegal during the vietnam war because the soldiers 
did not want to go to right. Vietnam. They're draft you know, that's Yeah, that is awesome information because look, you, you have, you, you know, you have a handle on that information from growing up with it. You know, that that's awesome because, you know, how many kids can't even relate to that, right? So that's a, that's yeah. awesome. Brian, Brian Moroscu is the uh, author yes. of the Immortality Key. Yeah. It's a great book. I've read it a couple times because yeah. I, it, it's, um, I just think it's, it's interesting. But the, I wonder if, you know, have you read Civilized to Death? You know that book? I know. I've heard of it. I've not read it. Uh-uh. And so, it's yeah. about the premise of like, we live, the reason why people are so depressed and um, so much fear is because we're not living like humans were supposed to live. It's um, the guy who like, they used to live in small bands. There's lots of different um, psychedelic uh, traditions all around the world. Right. I grew up outside of Silver City, New Mexico, and uh-huh. they have the member is Indians there. I just found this out that they all of, a lot of their pottery is based on um, scenes from has the moth the dortura, the moth that goes to the Dortura leaf. So they Dortura is a, a psychedelic flower and uh-huh. plant, and so even the members. Um, we're using psychedelics back in the day. And uh, so it's, there's, there's a culture of, of using that. I'll look. So there's a, um, it's in my book and I kind of, I got to find it. The, but the, oh, um, the leader, the last leader of the Comanche tribe there and their church they use psychedelics and that was one of the reasons they kept their church separate is you know because they you know they um you know that's how they did it and i mean the american the american indians you know there's a saying you know the the white man go to church to to pray to god the the indians go in their teepee to talk to god yeah. <laughs> so it's so um, yeah, they have like yeah. um they have a lot of uh here in the southwest um it's uh what is it called? Um Peyote Peyote and Mescaline. Peyote, yeah, Peyote, yeah. Mescaline. Uh yeah. Mm-hmm. They have uh I was like, why can't I think of that? But uh I I know people have sat in um peyote circles. They're pretty strict, though. You have to sit there, like, from sunset to sunrise, and you're wow. not allowed to move. You can't move. Oh but no. And you have to be, women have to have their wrists covered, your whole body covered, your wrists and your ankles, and um, it's very proper. So it's... Uh, uh, they got hundreds and maybe thousands of years doing it, so you never know. Yeah. So. Christopher Ryan wrote Civilized to Death. Okay. Yeah, that's so yeah, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna get on that. Yeah, that's a good book. That's a good but it's one of my favorites. So I've read that a couple times. Um Sex at Dawn is another written book book written by Christopher Ryan. So I don't know if you know this. I used to be an archaeologist. Like that's what my degree was. Oh yeah. And that's what I went to school for. And I was like actually like 
an archaeologist. And then I had kids and I was like, oh my gosh, this is not a good job for a mother. You know, I was leaving, I had to leave town all the time and camp out right, and stuff like right, that. Right, right. But um, yeah, and then, you know, how that translates to endurance coaching. Actually, I, I think the nutrition part and like living, like what's natural for the body to do, I think relates to, to anthropology and archaeology. But I'm still, even though I don't, not an archaeologist anymore, I love these books about history and how like the back, like how did humans really live? Like the human, the animal, yeah. like instead of human, this, this, um, I think sometimes like we get away from the fact that we are just really, you know, part of the animal kingdom and what's natural for an animal as opposed to natural for, um, you know, this industrial world that we live in. But right. some of the things I'd like about civilized to death is like, he talks about that, that like, you know, these, um, these small bands who use, there's all kinds of different cultures of psychedelics use and living in small groups where everybody knew everybody else. It's just quite a different ceremony, uh, different um, situation that you live. Like I live in a house and I know my neighbors, but I don't know them well. I don't know like you know them well enough like i could just walk across like yeah that's a special street. thing to have really good neighbors is uh that's a special situation nowadays right and people who live in these giant apartment complexes and they maybe know five people i mean it's just like pe there's this i you know this thing with loneliness and isolation and talking going circling back to endurance sports i think that's one of the reasons people love it is that there's like that's where you see your friends and there's these people you can count on and you train with someone well, and you it's, get to yeah well it's where it's you it's where you reach higher levels right you reach you reach goals through play and that's so important i mean there's not many situations where you can attain a higher goal we're all looking up right as humans that's what we do compared to say other animals, we look up, we look like wh whatever that is for you and sports help you achieve that in play. And, you know, it, it, if you lose the ability to play, you basically lost the ability to be human. And I'm pretty sure you can attest to that just looking through archeology span sites. I mean, there was always, you know, most of it was play, not hunting, you know? Yeah, well, even hunting play, yeah, I mean, even I, hunting I is play, exactly, yeah. So my son and I, uh, right. we go hunting. We put in for hunting licenses, and that's exciting to even get drawn. You're picking out your unit that you're going to go hunt in. We got drawn for deer and sandhill crane. Okay. So, uh, and then we got the units that we want. But anybody who's gone hunting, like, that's fun. It's, like, try, you know, yeah, there's a Yeah, there's a connection about it, right? So. Yeah, and then like if you harvest an animal, we, uh, my son got an elk last year, oh. and yeah, elk and liver so was the best gift I ever got ever. <laughs> if I get another one, I'll save some for you, John. Please, please. So, so, I'll, I'll, this year I'll be venison liver, but uh, and you know elk heart, we got saved the heart, the liver, and wow. you know. Uh, and I'm actually yeah. right now I have liver in the arm pot liver. I have elk meat in the crock pot. So, um, but it's like, then you get to eat 
off of that for an elk lasts a long time. That was last October and we're still eating elk. So that's, that's how, isn't that, that's how it's supposed to be, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, and it's, the whole scenario is thrilling. Like even the processing of the animal, especially if groups of people are doing it together. Yeah. And, and it's like, we're so removed, like no person is supposed to be sitting in a desk in front of a computer doing this all, you know, typing away. Like that's, that's like so unnatural for what an animal program to do. Yep. Uh, right. Like, I mean, even just squatting down, like I, I, because my knees messed up now, but like just to squat is hard for me. And like, that's how people used to sit for hours all day is like squatting on the ground. They have, they don't have the low back problems and the hamstring issues and the, you know, poor ankle mobility that we do now. And all of that's just from sitting at a desk. Right. Right. Uh, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. But that, that's what I like about Christopher Ryan's book. He's like, you know, all these things we think are great developments. Um, some of it is talking about viruses that, uh, you know, the swine flu, well, swines weren't domesticated and they weren't like kept in small quarters where you, you know, the viruses would mutate. And, and so tuberculosis and he goes right, through that's a all, lot of things. That's all close quarter stuff, right? Yeah. Right. Or even, uh, I don't know if you've read the, what's his name? The guy who wrote Protein Powder, Mike Eads. Talks Mike Eads, about, yeah. I, I, I know Mike now. Yeah. Oh, he's cool. Yeah, well, yeah, I have guy. not met him. I have not met him personally. Yeah, I, I but I love I love his talks and I um yeah, yeah. like his books. But uh, like this, and I can tell you, when I was an archaeologist, like the the people who were still hunter gatherers, they were healthier, their bones looked better, they were taller, and then once they switched to agriculture, it was this process of shrinking. Their bones were more deteriorated. Yeah, you're talking about the, you're talking about the Kentucky site, aren't you? Yeah. There's a Kentucky site yeah, that that where the, the, the two groups were they're hunters on not far from each other. I no. either on one, one side and of the mountain on the, yeah, yeah. yeah, one side yeah. of the mountain and one side and the other side of the mountain. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I, I, um, I geeked out on that one day. It was good. Yeah. I, I love that. And it's just like this idea of uh, I feel like sometimes we've gotten so far away from like just moving as a human, like moving like and living a, a human life. And uh, I think psychedelics have been a part of that humanity. If you read, what's his name? Um, the guy, Terrence McKenna. Did you have oh, you yeah. read the stone, the stone date theory? Yep. He, he thinks <laughs> the reason we evolved was because of, psychedelics like following right, the right. of animals. Yeah, I, i've heard that yeah i've heard all that that's uh yeah he who, who knows, knows you know who, who knows? knows i mean he's got it, he's got a point i mean you can't you know there's there's no you know i've, I've he's a fascinating guy to listen to and read about for sure i've, I've you know, i read all of his or a lot of his stuff for the book and um actually some of his some of his stuff is in the last in the last the second to last chapter about what is a psychedelic experience. He comes up with one of the best um, ways of explaining it. Yep. Oh, I have not read that. I will have to check it out. Well, I'm going to, we're coming up on time. 
and I don't want okay. to take up all your time, but I hope people are totally geeking out on all this stuff. Um, like we are all definitely have links to Jonathan's book. And yeah. uh, so the, this, this book and also the, um, the gift of fear. So the Re revolutionary ketamine. ketamine. Uh -huh. Yeah. How a little known drug can cure depression, prevent suicide. I think that's super important. I'll have a link to that book. Um, the, the gift of fear and survival signals. I'm totally interested in that book. That's I, Gavin. Uh, yeah. That's a great read. Great read. So, and then civilized to death. And if you have questions for Jonathan, please uh, send them to me or put them in the notes. I'll put a link to Jonathan's website. If you want to check out his website, he does coaching. And I don't know if you're still doing. Yeah, I'm coaching here doing... and there, just here and there. I mean. And do you do the blood panels or any of yeah. that anymore? Yeah, I check a lot of blood panels. That's what I do a lot nowadays, too, with blood panels for athletes and uh, a lot of injury management. Like I'm doing some. Um, some things, some French techniques called uh, uh, surface mesotherapy uh, for back pain and knee pains and stuff, uh, which I'm writing. A, that's going to be my next book um, that I got that I have coming out. And that's with a guy named Dr. Gez in, uh, in Nice. And that's one of the reasons I'm here, actually. And uh, we're we're putting that together right now. And that should be an interesting that should be an interesting thing. And it'll probably be the topic of our next talk. <laughs> <laughs> cool very cool and then also um variable speed running i'll put the link to that because i i thought that was a very good yeah although i did try to go and get her little formula and it was all in french and i couldn't read it and the little translation yeah work. they gotta work they gotta work on that one so anyway yeah. but it's good stuff it's good stuff so, thank right, you Steph. so much jonathan all right, uh, all right. Let's, i'm yeah. just gonna Stop the recording.